If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest on Horse Chats is Jude Matasevich. Jude is a tragic, she said she's a self-confessed equine worm tragic. So she'd like to talk to us about worms in horses and about evidence-based worming, which I think is quite interesting because she's got quite a few good points to talk about. Now, how are you today, Jude? I'm very well, thank you, Gwyneth. How are you? Good. Jude, now the story goes that you saved a near-death horse badly infested with worms, so you started studying the worm treatment as well, resistance in horses, and you've been informally studying worms in horses for about 30 years, and now you're convinced that evidence-based worming is the best method for keeping worms under control in horses. And we'd like to talk about that today, if that's okay. Uh, that would be fantastic. I'd love the opportunity. Thank you. Perfect, perfect. All right, well, we'll start you off with a favourite quote. What have you got for us? <laughs> my favourite quote, which is stuck on the wall in front of my desk behind my computer, and it's a Steve Jobs quote. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. All right, that's good. Now, Jude, the evidence-based worming is a little bit different. Does this quote affect your position there, your job, your business there? Is that why you're doing that? Is that why is that that's your favourite quote or how is it relative to you, this quote? The, the quote really repurposes me every time I... I find that very, very seldom do I encounter make much skepticism with what I do. Occasionally, I get knockbacks when I want to, for example, do demonstrations at key uh, saddlery outlets. Okay. Um, because, and they're really lovely about it, but they don't want to compromise their existing sort of relationships with their anthropomorphic providers. Um, and and it, 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 it does when I get home or when I start to think about it again, I, I look at that quote and I think, no, I know because of the history with the horse that we will probably talk about later, mm. I know I'm on the right track with this and I have to follow what yep. I know to be correct. And that quote always refocuses me. Yes, yes. We've got to keep going back to the knowledge that's available now, the knowledge that wasn't available quite a long time ago and if you know people are still learning we're learning about horses we're learning quite a lot of stuff but interestingly um I, when i was attending the australian society for parasitology conference last year one of these uh, australian um animal health companies did actually asked me to come chat with them and i was able to um see or ascertain from them whether they were concerned about businesses such as mine popping up and they they said not at all. They they were also aware of the science and they'd actually crunched the numbers and worked out that it was in their interest to make the current crop of chemical anthropomorphics last into the future rather than try, you know, um, sort of um, inadvertently accelerate um, worm resistance to their anthropomorphics. I thought that was very interesting and I, I would like other animal health companies to sort of have that view as well. 
Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? You'd think you'd almost be the opposition. Yeah. Yeah. And and what we're looking at too is the best life for the horse. And if the horse has got the best life, that's what we need. And if evidence-based learning is going to give the horse a longer, happier life, that's what we want. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Jude, how did you start with horses? What are your first memories? Well, tell us about one of your early memories. Okay. Yeah, sure. I was, I think like every other passionate horse person in the world, I was born with the knowledge that one day horses would be part of my future. Um, unfortunately, I lived in a, a small, you know, a small, and it wasn't a town, it was a small city on the east coast of Australia, and I was not allowed to have a horse um, at all. And so I think I got my big breakthrough when um, a, a girl came to our school, joined our class, and she was the author, Miles Franklin's second cousin, Janice. Mm-hmm. And Janice had come from their family property at Brindabella in the ACT. And we became the best of friends, and I was incredibly fortunate to be invited back to her place for school holidays, where I'd spend a couple of weeks every school holiday, and we would just go bareback riding. We would just disappear into the high country and sort of go out after breakfast and come back after dinner. So not being able to ride, I became quite an expert just from holidays at her place, and I, I have incredibly fond memories of those times and often think about those horses, and I can still name them all. <laughs> that's good, that's isn't in 1963. it? 1963. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Tell us about your um, first memory with worms. Tell us about the horse that you had that almost died. Uh, yeah, well, it was very interesting. I had no idea about, I knew, I knew about horse worms, of course, but I had no idea about resistance. And I was, at that time, and this is back in the early 1980s, I was a very passionate and um, sort of aspirational dressage rider and also Warm blood horses were, you know, becoming the horse to own. So I purchased a five-year-old warm blood gelding and um, took him to the equestrian centre where I kept him. But unknowingly, I had also um, purchased the cargo of resistant worms. And he was kept in a... The thing that was stood out about this horse is that it didn't matter what I did with with his um, feeding regimes, with the exercise that I was doing... Um, the horse never thrived. He was always tired. He never had a, a, a nice coat. He, he was a black horse, like yellow. And um, every time I was worming him every six weeks with one of the, you know, the BZ group of drugs, and every six weeks and a little bit, out would come a an offering of a huge number of um, what I know now to be small fungi with stomas. And I thought that the chemicals were working. Um then I took him to a dressage clinic with um, a leading dressage rider at that time, and the, that fellow got on the horse, and the horse actually ground to a stop and wouldn't walk, wouldn't move. So mm. when I took the horse home, I got the vet, who was Richard, Dr. Richard Chapman. Um, he looked at the housing of the horse, and the horse was in a large stable with sawdust, big yard, it was clean twice a day, and all food was sort of brought in. So his horse was not pastured. I probably wouldn't do this these days, but that's how it was then. And he just said to me, I think you've got a problem with resistant worms, and that was the first time I'd heard that term. And he said, don't worry, you're very lucky. He said, there's a, a, a new chemical has just come on the market in a form that can be taken by horses, because initially they were injecting cattle with it, and, of course, ivermectin. And um, he managed to get some 
and he treated the horse and it was, it transformed the horse and, and it was just, I was dead lucky um, to have been in the right place at the right time and the right sort of um, decade, if you like, That and that horse ended up um, just transforming. He became a live wire and um, he became beautiful to look at. He had a lot of energy and he was only alive thanks to the, um, the introduction of that new chemical group onto the market. Now, just remind me, the ivermectin, it was, it was okay to inject cattle, but it was actually illegal to inject horses for a while, wasn't it? Illegal yes, to use right. on horses? Yeah, yeah. The saying at that time was, you can try it, but the horses will slide off the end of the needle dead. So okay. obviously there was not not an uptake of an injectable form for horses, and yeah. then the post sort of came out. Yeah, but it had been used in the ruminant industry for a little while before that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Now, yeah. you went from this experience with your own horse and with the resistance worms to then go on and do study with horses and then start a master's really focusing on worms and horses. So would you like to tell us a bit about that pathway? Yeah. or what? No, not even about the pathway, but what made you start that pathway? Was it that first initial experience with your first horse, the ivermectin? Was that what made generated that interest? Um, it, it was, but, you know, like most people, I thought that that would be in forever, like there would be different kinds of, you know, there was ivermectin and then avermectin and uh, they're all part of the, and then moxidectin, they're all part of what they call the macrocyclic lactone family. And that sort of moved forward now to the maybe early 2000s. Mm. And I, like most people, thought that they would just be available and they'd always be developing a new kind of um, chemical from this family of wonder drugs, the macrocyclic lactone. And so... I started to hear more and more stories about resistance creeping in to this macrocyclic lactone family. And so I kind of, I suppose, innately did not treat my horse very frequently with it and without knowing, you know, what sort of worm burden the horse had or anything, I just sort of started to use it more sparingly. And it wasn't until I sort of retired, I used to work in the Department Commerce Department of Agriculture, and it wasn't until I retired from there that I started to, you know, you do all the things when you retire and then you look for something a little more meaningful to do. And I thought I would follow this up. I was always interested in it. So I, I looked at um, Charles Sturt University, my old um, university, Alamata, and then I, I tried to see if I could just do some subjects um, and make it into a postgraduate certificate. But when I inquired about that, they said I had to enroll in a master's degree. And then exit at a certain point. Yep, and so yep, by the time normal. I did that, yep. I got quite booked. And, and, and I ended up <laughs> doing a lot of interesting subjects. But the th- there were three subjects in particular that led me to the current business. And they were parasitology, of course. Also, uh, extension, which, um, you know, the term that allows me to talk. I, I talk to people and I spread ideas about things. And another one, which was um, critical reviews in animal science, which allowed me to look at scientific journal articles and transcribe them into and put them into lay terms, which allowed me to write articles. So when I sort of thought, hang on, I've got all this, and now I know that there's this, you know, increasing problem with resistance, but the difference this time is there are no new chemicals coming onto the market. So there's nothing. Mm. And I had seen the future back in 1980 without knowing that was the future. And um, I thought... You know, this is a really serious thing now because there, there are no chemicals coming on the market. It takes at least 15 years from an aha moment with a new chemical to actually getting it onto the market. Um, and not many companies are investing that 
um, that amount of time or money because they want quick returns. So you can't really blame them. So at the same time, the, the uh, textbook that I was had, had purchased, it was recommended to me, um, was talking about a new way of looking at things. It was quite a different paradigm. Instead of um, treating the horse, you actually look at you know what the horse is shedding, and um, you have to look after look after the worm population rather than kill it. And, and that, to me, was it took a long time for me to get my head around it. Yes. <laughs> to start, but when I did, I thought this makes so much sense. So, out of that, um, I developed the business, which was um, aiming to inform people about the problem and to try and teach people how they could do it themselves um, and try and, well, I've got a lofty, you know, sort of um, objective of, of empowering everybody to do this themselves. If, they, if they're in the position of managing horses, then I think they should either do it themselves, learn to do it themselves or, or send the horses in a new way so it can be tested. Okay, so okay. So it's kind of, that, that's how it all came together. And when you say learn to do it yourselves, where can they learn about how to do it? You know, because everyone wants to do the best thing for their horse. And sometimes if you yeah. get experts, but, you know, get a vet out to do a worm cow or to then send the um, manure away, it's going to cost a lot more than to just go down to your local produce and buy a wormer. So if people are doing it themselves, how can they do it themselves? Well, first of all, I, I, it's, when, when you do go and buy a worm, yes, it is, it is cheaper in the long run, but I've actually done cost comparisons and the more horses you have, you know, you can you can uh, uh, pay the cost of all the equipment in a very short time. So if you've got ten horses, you'll you'll be ahead in, within twelve months. Okay. But to learn to do it, um, there are um, unless you go to a you know if you're if you're studying veterinary science or animal science, you'll, you can choose to do parasitology and I'll learn the techniques in, in those courses. Um, the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries also uh, runs a course, but it's in, only done in New South Wales. It's quite expensive, but it is good. I've actually done that course as well because I was interested to, to know what systems they use. Um, and, but as far as I know, I'm the only provider um, in Australia. I get asked to do uh, workshops. In, I have been asked to do workshops in every state and territory, which is now impossible for me because of I have so much training equipment, lots of microscopes and things, but I have to hit the road and I can't really be away from other aspects of my business for a long time. So I'm getting clever, so I'm <laughs> starting to develop another avenue that will that will help people. Okay, okay. Hopefully. All <laughs> right, so we should keep tuned to that and maybe you'll come back and talk to us about that another time. I would love to do that, yes. Okay. It's under development. Watch this space kind of thing. <laughs> All right. Now, normally I ask people about the best things of working in the horse industry. What's the best thing about working in the horse industry in the job that you do? Oh, undoubtedly, it's meeting it's meeting the people either face to face through my workshops, and especially when they have that moment when they go from the theory to the microscope, and then they suddenly get it, and yep. then it goes from silence. The room goes from silence, and everybody's being obedient to. Oh my God, look at this. Everyone gets up and looks around at everyone else's, and I just feel so excited about that because <laughs> they've actually seen it. And the other thing, too, is I get lots of um, queries either through uh, my Facebook page or through messaging um, people I don't know all around the place, and I'm um, being able to help them with their, um, with their query. 
And the other aspect of my business where I do people ed counts is that the return the return business of people, I feel I actually know a lot of these people now, even though I haven't met them. Yep. Um, and the, the fact that they are on the same page and they get what 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 I'm on about, mm-hmm. um, that, that is for me the best the, the best part of the business. There are so many ups in my business and very few downs, I have to say that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Now, people who've helped you on your career, obviously the first vet that treated your horse, you know, they've sort of influenced yes. you, but but other people who've helped you and and not just helped you but supported you in the evidence-based worming because, you know, you started off and you're the only person that's actually yes. teaching it to the lay person. Yeah. Who else has supported you to do this? Um, I think um, where I get my support from, yes, you're right, from, the, uh, from, from Dr. Richard Chapman, who unfortunately um, passed away um, earlier. Um, but he he was a great support to me. Um, but then more recently, the uh, the university um, that my lecturers there, in particular one, she's an Iranian, um, uh, Dr. Shapiti Shamsi, and she taught parasitology in a way that showed us that parasites were not things to be hated; they were they were animals to be absolutely admired for the way that they. Um, have their uh, their life cycles and how they have managed to um, coexist with all species. Um, so, um, and, and she she brought them to life, if you like, and made us uh, understand that they were almost a symbiotic thing rather than a parasite. Mm-hmm. So, um, from that perspective, but from an educational perspective, I found through my studies in extension, I found a network um, which is the Australasia Pacific Extension Network. And they are all about informing people. So they have been terrific. I've been a member of uh, APEN for some time now, and I attend their uh, their roadshows and their information sessions, and and they are the leaders in how to impart information to the rural industry. So they've been around for a long time, and they are good to be um, listened to, and there are a lot of skills that I can learn from them. The the other group is in the um, the, um, Australian Parasitology Society, which is... um, they're, they're up on all the science, um, more generic, though, not just horse science. But the, I think my greatest inspiration comes from the University of Kentucky with the um, – uh, they are considered to be the world's best in equine gastrointestinal parasitologists, and I'm, I'm on all of their work, so I get the information from them. And mm-hmm. They are doing exactly the same thing. That's something. Um, I've got that around the wrong way. I'm doing what they are doing, and I feel I have – them holding my hand in this, even though we only know each other through emails and Twitter and that sort of stuff. So, yep. That yep. um, they have been really inspirational. Good, good. What about now? You've talked about the horse that do really influenced you earlier on in the career. Is your proudest moment yeah. the fact that you've been able to keep him alive, or would you like to tell yeah, us about another proudest moment? I've got. Um, well, the the proudest moment, I suppose, was was that that was I, I was proud of myself. Actually, it sounds really inane now, but it, I was proud of myself for actually ringing the vet and mm-hmm. finding out what was wrong with the horse and then following that on and then taking an interest in it. Okay. And seeing that horse go from something that was so weak to something that was bounding and shiny. The other proud moments that I've had, as I've mentioned, the work, the aha moments in my workshop. But if I can just go to a proud moment, which has nothing to do with worms, um, it's back in the um, 1990s, um, I was phoned up by a girl who had a problem with a warm-blooded horse. 
that she couldn't control. And she had heard about me as being a horse whisperer. Now, I'm not a horse whisperer, but what I had taken up very, very early on was um, horsemanship, you know, when the craze came. Sure. So I was doing things with horses that time that other people weren't done. When I met this girl, I was so stunned. Um, she was a survivor of a very serious and otherwise fatal road accident. She'd been in a coma for some time, and when she came out of the coma, she had considerable um, cognitive and motor skill impairment. Uh, but she loved horses. And um, she asked me, everyone has said, get rid of this horse, it will kill you. But she rang me and I uh, said, I don't know what I can do, but bring her here and I will see. So fast forward, um, the horse was really not dangerous. It just had not been treated, you know, sort of it, it hadn't been given any proper groundwork, essentially. And over the past of the year, we worked together um, with this horse and I gave her a few little goes at what I was doing. But at the end of the year, I was able to take a ride with Jan on her own horse, that horse, to the beach and back. <laughs> and to see her face um, beaming, um, and I, 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 even even today, I feel I just get this, you know, sort of shivers down my spine when I think of Jan. She's a yep. remarkable person. Yep. She was a real hero in that. But it was good to be able to help in that way, and I was really proud of that. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I'm off track of Jan, but I'd love to see her again. Yeah, well, she wouldn't be the first person who's um, lost track of someone and then they've contacted them again through the podcast. It's happened a couple of times, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, challenge. You know, the challenge that you get, what do people say to you? If you start talking about evidence-based worming and you get people who say, no, no, I just worm my horse every six weeks and I change wormers or something like that, what sort of feedback are you getting, your most challenging feedback from people? Is that is that what it is? You know, I already know everything. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting, um, Michelle. That I wish we get no challenges from the people. Um, people are very open okay. about something. You know, how the horse industry works, everyone hears a little bit about something. And so the kind of um, open to maybe trying something, but not quite now. But word filters through. And so I tend to get more questions of how do I move from one to the other? Apart from my biggest challenge, really, and facetiously, we have to be keeping up with social media. Okay. <laughs> but, yep. but seriously, my my business, my biggest challenge is actually some veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, most vets, I've, in fact, I've trained one vet um, in in one of my workshops over in Canberra. Um, but there are some vets who refuse to believe that doing fecal egg counts for horses is done for environmental management of populations of worms rather than as a diagnostic procedure. Now, my business makes it very... I make it very clear to everybody this is a non-veterinary thing mm-hmm. and you must not stray into that area. Um, the vets are very slow to come on board with, with this new way of thinking. And that's not just me saying this. In fact, the University of Kentucky has just done a complete awareness-raising session with the veterinarians because they find, they've also found that the vets are very slow to come on board. And and like me, they're very surprised about this because the vets are, going, are the ones that are going to be having to handle resistance, you know, uh, in the future. So I've seen what it was like with my horse, Argel, um, that he was able to be treated. What it's going to be like for vets trying to treat horses with resistant worms in the future, because once resistance is in, uh, in a worm population, it can never be eradicated. So they're the ones that are going to be dealing with it. So they really should be on board with um, evidence-based learning, selective therapy, targeted treatment, whatever you want to call it. And 
I encourage anybody who listens to this podcast um, to talk to their vets about it and to, you know, to ask their vets if they could do fecal egg counts for them as a parasite management system um, rather than a diagnostic. Because it's very inaccurate as a diagnostic process anyway. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Just thinking about the general horse owners, because you get people who come in who might be interested in what you're doing. What's a common fault? What's the most common fault you get with the horse owners? You know, something that they're doing and doing wrong. uh, The most common fault is when I give them, when they send their uh, fecal samples to me and Mm. I give them the results and the results are a very low egg count, they will treat the horse anyway. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, so that, that is a really interesting one because it is very hard because we've all been, well, not me so much now, but I mm. was, mm. because the horse people are conditioned to treat every six weeks and because of some of the wording um, and some of the the, um, the publicity that comes with these treatments that, you know, you really can't afford to, to break this cycle, you know, you must, you must do rotational learning or you must do it every six or 12 weeks. Yep. People are a little bit, and to stop that, and it does take a lot of courage. Um, for example, I used to do my horses, as I mentioned in earlier in the interview, um, every six weeks, so that was with Ardell. Now my horses get treated once a year, mm-hmm. and that is for um, tapeworm, um, for uh, and anything else, you know, for the bot and that. But it's, it's a targeted treatment once a year, usually in late autumn. Okay. And and for people to do that, it's a gradual thing of getting confidence in evidence-based learning. Um, that that is the term for the you know the strategy rather than my business to get the confidence in that and to start um, using less and less chemical antimedics. Um, I, I should point out too that um you know we're not no one who's involved in this um, uh, new paradigm um, is is against chemical wormers. We're just all uh, um, for more judicious use of them so that they last us when we truly need them into the future. Yep. 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 If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All right, Jude, what about a book? Have you got a book that's influenced you, one that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, and anybody who wants to get into my line of work um, really must spend the money and get the Handbook of Equine Parasite Control. The second edition has only just come out, um, and the authors are Martin K. Nielsen and Craig Reinmeier. And they are from well, Martin Nielsen is the uh, chief lecturer in parasitology at the University of Kentucky. It's an excellent book. Um, it is written it is written for veterinarians, but it's also very easy for the lay person to understand. It's not cheap, but it is a central part of of um, the you know, having it by you if you're going to do this sort of work. Good, good. All right, now what are you looking forward to now, something that your um, future holds? The future is holding. My, my lofty idea to empower all horse owners everywhere to be able to do fecal egg counts. I'm developing um, the step-by-step manual um, so that um, people can sort of be guided by a whole series of photographs. I thought about doing uh, YouTube videos and then I thought, why not just do a, a desktop manual that sits flat on the desk and so just look at it page by page rather than refer to the uh, having to refresh the computer or, or just stop the video or something like that. So that is what we're working on at the moment. Okay. Um, and I hope to have that out in spring. All right. When you do have it out, we'd love to have you back. We can talk about that and uh, go over a couple of things within that. 
that would be fabulous opportunity. Thank you. Okay. All right, Jude, summarise your philosophy now about worm control in horses, just in a sentence or two or a couple of sentences. I can actually sum it up in our catchphrase, if you like. It's very short and it's very yep. catchy and it's um, always confirmed before the worm. Okay. All right. Just say that again. That'll be good. Just so it sticks in everyone's head. Yep. Confirm before you were. Yeah, good, good. All right. Jude, how can people contact you? Uh, many ways. Um, my email address is uh, info at, all one word, evidencebasedworming.com.au or through my website, which is um, evidencebasedworming.com.au. Um, it would be good if people posted on Facebook, which is um, evidence-based learning in Facebook or messages and all our other contact information such as PO Box to send samples and uh, so forth and uh, my phone number is all in, in, in those uh, social media as well. So there's a num- number of ways people can contact me and I'm very receptive to um, answering people's um, queries. In fact, good. apparently I have a very good rating in Facebook for that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now I was going to say your contact details will be on Horse Chats. It'll be on horsechats.com slash Jude Matisevich. But just go to horsechats.com and search for Jude, J-U-D-E, and you'll find it. Okay. All right, thanks for talking to us today, Jude, and we'll have to catch up with you sometime in the near future. Many thanks, Glenn. It's all the best to you. Thank, Thank you. you for the opportunity. That's okay. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.